Father God in heaven, we, uh, we praise you for um, this beautiful day, because we know the sun's shining somewhere. We thank you for um, your creation. You're an almighty God. Thank you. Uh, we ask that you join us here right now, send your spirit, uh, open your word to us, and um, guide our discussion. We thank you, Lord, that we've gathered together freely and without fear. Thank you for the fellowship and friendship around this circle. Let's ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, sir. John 12. I want to be going to uh, verses 42 and 43. Uh, to me, they're so rich. And, and then we can move on. <clears throat> so John 12, 42 to 43. Nevertheless, many, even of the rulers believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. Okay. And then Jesus cries out, uh, which is, you see that phrase used a lot in John's Gospel. Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. He who sees me sees the one who sent me. Does that sound like an echo? Does that sound familiar? If you see, if he who sees me sees the one who sent me. South Mary Luke, you bet. <clears throat> I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, sound like an echo? He's like the man who built his house on the sand. Right? I do not judge him. For I did not come into the world, or I didn't come to judge the world, but to save the world. That's all John 3 right there. He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. Or why? Because I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life, therefore I, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. <clears throat> Brilliant. A quick comment. I do not judge you, but the words I say will judge you. That is because what Jesus says is what God says. So it's really the words of God that's going to judge, judge these, these people. All right. Um, to me, this is so rich, and I hope that you're going you're gonna to benefit from this. So, Verse 42, nevertheless, many even of the rulers believed him. But because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. Okay. How strong of an indictment is that? How strong is the verdict of verse 43? They love the approval of men rather than the approval of God. That's the American Standard Translation. What kind of a verdict is that? It's, 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 it's interesting. Turn to John chapter 19. Bruce, can you read this? Look at John 19 and look at uh, verdict 38. John 19, 38. Read that to us, Bruce. <clears throat> How far you want me to go? 
just that one verse, just 38. Okay, after this, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, uh, but secretly because of his fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might remove Jesus' body. Pilate gave him permission, so he came and he took his body away. Okay. Does it sound like he's a Christian? The title disciple is used, and there's a reference to secrecy, but it's also associated with his fear. So Joseph of Arimathea seems to be acknowledged as a believer, Randy, who struggles with fear, but in John 12, fear is unacceptable, based on the verdict of verse 43. Nevertheless, many, even of the rulers, believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. How strong of an indictment is that is a great question. Is, is John really, really coming down in a harsh, harsh way? What's going on? Let's pick it apart and see what happens. First of all, who's the ruler? Uh, the word is archon or arche which means first among people or first in history. And it's probably their local civic, religious leaders, local authorities. Most likely, they are actually members of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin. They are the ruling authorities. Have I been saying that word wrong? Oh That's God. how it's said? Yeah, Sanhedrin. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, yeah. And I is always an E. Sanhedrin, um, but uh, Senate, these guys, they have real authority. They've got real authority. They are high-level, high-status people in, in this area, most likely members of that 70-plus ruling council, all right? Um, what if you, let's, uh, Dr. Keener uh, and several others, uh, Balcom of Great Britain, suggest that this, there's a particular ruler in mind and that he has some people that he is discipling and his name is Nicodemus. That this is a veiled reference to Nicodemus. That many of the rulers were believing and that's bestuo, that's the standard word for faith that you just see all through John's gospel. Bestuo, to believe, meaning faith. But it's a veiled reference to Nicodemus, and we'll get to that in a minute. Um, it's, it's possible it's not. You can't prove it, right? But they are the arist aristocracy, they're the religious elite, whoever this person is. Uh, I agree with Keener and others that that Nicodemus would fit the bill. Um, is that the same Nicodemus that um, came at night? Came at night, yes, in John 3. So, okay, Janice, since you picked up on it already, well, that if, if Balcom is correct, and I think he's got a strong argument for Nicodemus, then we get to see a transitional faith cycle in Nicodemus' life. You get John 3, where he's afraid, he comes by night, he asks questions, he gets exposed as being extremely immature in his thinking. Very selfish, very self-centered, very immature, to the point that Jesus says, you're a leader? 
in Israel, and you don't understand these things? You're like one of the leading teachers in Israel and is, is rather shamed in the, in the discussion. When you get to John 12, you get this veiled reference to these rulers who are believing but are struggling. Are they going to attach to the in-group of Jesus? Or are they going to stay attached to the in-group of the Sanhedrin? What are they going to do? And then in John 19, after he read, go ahead and read, look at it again, Bruce. You get the comment about Joseph of Arimathea, and then who's next? Who's the next character involved in the burial of Jesus? Nicodemus. It's Nicodemus. Yeah. In John 19. So you get three, three presentations, and it appears that by the time you get to John 19, he's settled the issues. Well, mine says he had previously come to him at night, so also came. <clears throat> yeah, that's him. So he's moved into the daylight? <laughs> there you go. There you go. And that, that we may see three phases of his life, of his journey. Now, there's a bit of conjecture there. It doesn't say point blank that it, in John 12 that it's, that it's him, but... But I think that that's interesting, and uh, I think it's also interesting that John gives room for Joseph of Arimathea to have fear problems, but doesn't seem to do that in John 12, and really brings down a heavy, heavy verdict. Now, let me tell you how heavy this verdict is, so you'll appreciate this thing. Uh the gospel, if, you, if you're going to kind of rise up to 5,000 feet and see the lay of the land of the farm and look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, a big conclusion can be made that if you are ashamed of me and my words, I will be ashamed of you before my Father and before angels. So that if you don't go public with your faith, and by the way, Terry, that's an allusion most likely even to baptism. That if you're not willing to go public and be baptized, you have no part in being a follower of Jesus Christ. That's kind of the big, big verdict of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you fly up and see the big picture, there's in-group and there's out-group, and you've got to make a choice. If you want to be a disciple of mine, what do you do? You take up the cross, you doubt yourself, all these radical things, right? And so, across the board, secret faith, cowardly faith, is never cast in a positive light at all. It's never. So, John is coming down harshly, but also fairly, in keeping with the whole idea that if we are ashamed of him, he's going to be ashamed of us before his father, before his angels. Faith, public faith, separates the coward and the confident. Does that make sense? Pretty serious business. And it's, it's kind of like, ouch, that's, that stings, that hurts. But it's very, very strong, and it is the trajectory of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And yet, you get this graceful reference in John 19 about Joseph of Arimathea, who is a disciple, albeit secret, and has fear problems. And doesn't appear to be, the language is not used in John 19, that he's going to hell for it. It's not used. 
So, so I see grace even in the midst of this deep, strong trajectory that you've got to make a decision if you're going to be a follower of Jesus or not. So I love that language. All right, let's look at uh, verse 43. The translation I have is, for they love the approval of men rather than the approval of God. What are some other translations, Randy? Think you do an NIV? What do you have? I'm sorry, for which verse? Praise. Um, uh, 1243. Praise. I love praise. Praise for man more than praise for God. Anyone else? Different translation from praise or approval? The, the Greek word that is translated praise is called doxa. Doxa. Probably should ring a bell for you. Doxology. Because, what's that? Doxology. Doxa, exactly. In church, many liturgical churches and even some of the Baptist traditions, you sing the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures. Here we go. Is that how? Is that how? Here we go. Wasn't sure about that. It's like here we go. So, the doxology, right? It's about doxa is about glory. It literally means glory, and it's used all through John's Gospel. Glory, glory, glory. All right. So let's look at this. This is really interesting. So I, I, I got to admit it. The New American Standard, I think, misses it. It does not translate it well. It translated doxa as approval. And I think they're, what the team is doing is they're trying, to, they're trying to translate what's implied as opposed to what's literally there. So you, do you translate what it says or do you translate what it means? And that's a tough, tough task for the translators, what it says or what it means. And they went with, what it, I think, what it means. Um, so, so the reason why these people were so afraid about getting churched or kicked out or shunned is that they loved, and that is the word agape. They had a deep and consuming sacrificial kind of love for the glory of humans, the glory of humans, rather than the glory of God. Doxa theos, doxa anthropos. Which, which is very human in itself. Absolutely. It? We're social animals. Um, yes. We want approval. We want acceptance. <clears throat> Absolutely. By the way, does anybody know what color God's eyes are? Does anybody know? Blue. <laughs> <laughs> what does his aftershave sound like? Smell like on his collar? You know? Does he got gray hair? What does he look like? He's left-handed. Is he left-handed? Now we're talking. <laughs> because Jesus is sitting in his right yeah. hand. That's right. Sitting on his right hand. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting choked up over here. <laughs> so, yeah, so what does his voice sound like? George Charlton Burns. Heston? George Burns. Yeah, that yeah, that was that was cute. That was cute. So the fact is we don't know, do we? And there's a tendency, Terry, to to want to put human-like qualities onto God. He's a father, right? Uh, even in some of John, uh, the New Testament writings, he's motherly. And Paul said that about himself. Paul can treat a church like the Thessalonican church in a motherly way and a fatherly way. Paul does both when he was over there. 
he treated them in a rather father, motherly kind of way, uh, but also in a fatherly kind of way. So you get both feminine and masculine qualities with God, but he's a spirit, right? And yet David says, you know, come on, where, where are you? Is your arm too short that you can't reach down to help us on earth? Is it that far up there in the sky? And we, we tarry, we long for, to touch. We long for the eternal, and we don't have it right now. It's a leap. It's a, it's a faith leap, and it's hard, so we naturally turn to people, don't we? Sure. And I don't know that that's totally a bad thing. I don't, in fact, I know it's not. But even that can become a very deceptive trap when you become codependent, have a parasitic relationship uh, to people. Well, that's what we're really trying to do. <clears throat> Turning to each other. Absolutely. Yeah. And Hebrews chapter 10 commands us to do that. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the habit of some people. But draw close, draw near, all the more as you see the day approaching. So, uh, but there's something really insidious going on here when it comes to the glory of people. Can you hear anything, any echoes from Matthew 6 and about praying in public places? I'll say I can take it all the way back to Genesis if you want. Go ahead. Like God. You know, they were already made in God's image, but they wanted to be God. And that's kind of where this is kind of alluding to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, people want to feel as you know, powerful as God is. Yeah, yeah. And, and that great detail is given in Genesis where God, talking among the Trinity, says, Mmm, we got a problem. <laughs> They're trying to be like us. Rising themselves up to the position of God, yeah, and that even leads out into to Genesis eleven. Didn't it just dawn on me, like what sin really is? Like if, like, because Satan, he tried to be as high as God or higher than God, and then Adam and Eve did too, and it's like when. When we try and be the ruler of ourselves, um, he lets us. But the ultimate end is destruction. Yeah. Um, but if we say, God, I, I can't be the ruler of myself. You have to be the one to rule over me. And by faith, I'm letting you be my God. <coughs> Then we're saved. Absolutely. You nailed it, Deanna. Thank you. So Lisa, who's who's one of the toughest, most plain spoken premarital counselors that I know, <laughs> she will tell you right at point blank. Tell your spouse, you know, quit trying to be Holy Spirit to your to your spouse. Quit trying to force change on them as though you are some convicting <clears throat> convicting force. And ow, my ribs, my ribs. So uh and there's something there, because Deanna, not only in our effort to be like God for self-glory, we push it over people. We want to be God over them. Mm -hmm. And it's so unhealthy. Um, so th this is really, really significant. Everyone look at John 5. 
verses 39 to 44. John 5, 39 to 44. And watch how the, co the concept of doxa, of glory, plays out in theology, in relationship with God, etc. Now Jesus is indicting the religious leaders again. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. Uh, verse 45, 40. And you are unwilling to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive doxa from men. But I know you, that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I've come into my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. How can you believe? How can you have healthy, functional faith when you receive doxa from one another and you do not seek the doxa that is from the one and only God. So guess what? Self-glory and the seeking of parasitic self-glory absolutely makes you incapable of understanding the glory of God. If you become narcissistic, is this not like stating the obvious? <laughs> if you become narcissistic and consumed with yourself, in your approval ratings around people and seeking glory from people that by default you break fellowship with God immediately. You miss what the glory of God is about. Because if we really were consumed with God's approval, God's praise, God's glory, then our attitudes and our relationships with people radically change. Radically change. So much so that we have the capacity to say things like this. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Does it make sense? So Jesus being presented, Bruce, based on Gre the conventions of Greco-Roman biography as the ideal citizen of the ideal state, he is the one that models what it's like, what it looks like for someone to be totally about his father's business. And he decided that at age 12. And he never... Step back. Never, never step back. Until the minute he breathed his last, he was about his father's business, which in Hebrew thought is equivalent to saying, I am about the doxa, the doxa of my father. His business, his glory, his reputation, his name, his approval, it's all him. And it's and he did that as the ideal example that we should follow. So Terry. No, just no. Oh, <laughs> okay. All right. So that's John 5. Now look at John 7, 18. <clears throat> John, John 7, 18. Uh, he who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. But he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, the glory of God, he is true. And there's no unrighteousness in him. John 8. 48 to 51. The Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? That is about as full on cussing as you're going to get right there in the New Testament. Those are cuss words. Okay? To call someone a Samaritan is like you're cussing it bad. Cussing. Okay? These guys are really talking ugly toward him. Jesus answered, 
I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Verse 50, but I do not seek my glory. What a confession. I do not seek my glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Look at John 8, 54 to 55. Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, he is our God. And you have not come to know him, but I know him. And if I say that I do not know him, I will be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Amazing. So, glory, seeking the approval of God versus the approval of men, uh, faith, fear. When does God, when, when does God say, you know what, little lamb, you, you, I'm going to give you some margin. I'm going to help you grow and work through your fears. I get it. By the way, the command to not fear is the most popular command in the entire Bible. Old and New Testament combined. More men have ego fear issues than any other sin issue in their life. Egos, men are scared to death of failure. Part of it is testosterone poisoning. Part of it is brain wiring. Part of it is being created in the image of God. But one of the number one problems and issues in the average male life is the fear of failure. To not having someone be proud of them. To not having a glorious resume. Or get that pat on the back, attaboy, knocking the ball out of the park. Catching the football that scores the touchdown, that wins the championship game with your picture on the cover of the sports section of the local newspaper. Men have real issues with fear. I think God works with us in our fears, our struggles. But there's a point in which fear can become paralyzing and can become parasitic and unhealthy. And we become codependent on each other and we're feeding off each other's egos instead of learning to seek the glory of God. And when, if that, if we cross that line past our humanity and our, and our natural weaknesses into addictions, peer addictive behavior, I think this is when we make a break with God. And we, we just, we get blinded and have very skewed and distorted thinking about church, about faith, about life, about morality, what's right and wrong, and we really get all messed up between the ears. So, uh, where's the line between saying, I don't care if you kick me out of church, I don't care. By the way, they would have a, a jurisdiction to have you executed too, by the way. It's, it, it could become more than just getting expelled from church. It could lead to a, just some severe punishment. <coughs> but isn't that what the end, the end of the gospel is all about in the book of Acts? Bring it on. It's persecution. I'm not afraid. 
I conquered my fears. Wasn't it Peter's problem? They all scattered, you know, until Peter finally learned to be about his father's business. So, you're the gifted body of Christ. How do you take John 12, 42, and 43, pull it out of that first century context, and pull it into our world where this makes sense for us today, how it's going to affect our, our marriages, our children, our families, our work relationships? Seeing how I'm about three years older than anybody else. Uh, it was looking back on it, uh, reputation was all. Whether it was within the confines of my naval service or any other job that I had, I wanted my reputation to be spotless, if not spotless, just respected and understood that within my circle, uh, my reputation stood the scrutiny of my peers. Hmm. And how I would like Jesus to hold me in that same light. Wow. And I've got some work to do going back to Sundays. Yeah. message yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I really do yeah. but uh, we're all so codependent upon each other and our liable uh, susceptible to what others think of us mm -hmm. that we can get off the beaten path very easily so yeah. we do have to work on it. I certainly do have yeah, to me work too. on this. Yeah, me too. Thank you, Terry. Keep going. I mean, you're just, you described, I mean, just everything we've been talking about tonight, describing. Mm. It's fearful. Mm -hmm. Having crossed that line of danger, mm -hmm. I think at one point in my life I had. God's kind of dragged me back the other way than that. Yeah. But, like, just wanting affirmation, mm -hmm. you know, and like knowing that if I'm just, just like it says in chapter 5, where he says, where were we? Um, 44. Where he talks about, uh, hold on, sorry. You diligently study the scriptures because you think you get eternal life from them, but they testify about me. Um, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Hmm. And it's like, in 39, he's talking about it's a works base that people are doing. You know, instead of just, I mean, coming to him, resting in him, being deeply rooted in him, like it talks about in Colossians. Mm -hmm. And, like, the more we are 
desire for affirmation from men is daddy's love, mm-hmm. you know, for mm-hmm. a lot of men. Go and just let our father be the one to love us. Yeah. There will, affirmation won't be necessary for men. That is. Yeah. That's very wise, Branson. <laughs> When I arrive, I'll let you guys know. <laughs> and get the copyright while you're there. <clears throat> Someone else, how does the, why does this matter? Do we Americans, have we fallen prey to something in our culture? Self-esteem issues? And, uh... Well, it's gotten nowadays that people are afraid that they won't get the approval if they don't speak up about issues that are going on mm-hmm. now but then they're also afraid that if they speak up they'll offend those mm-hmm. same people and so you've got the same issue but two different kinds of fear from that and yes. both lead down because it ultimately means that we're not saying what needs to be said to help people that need to be helped very good, Lance. Very good. Having been raised with four sisters, three daughters, an amazing wife, is the worth of a woman's beauty really at stake when she walks out the door with no makeup on? When her hair is not just right? Is she that fragile? Is her worth that at risk if she doesn't. Not in Colorado. Montana, I know. Montana. 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 Here is a whole So ladies, is your worth measured by your beauty? What about your house? Are you your house? Martha Stewart certainly thinks so. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if we're not careful, if we're going to do a modern parallel here, you know, we're <clears throat> we can so embed our identity into what we own and how we look that we absolutely miss what faith in Christianity is all about. We miss it. And when you go down that path. Lance, you start making judgment calls about people. This person A looks this way, therefore they're better. They have higher worth. Person B, not so much, so they they come in third place. And the beauty pageant or worthy pageant of life. And we kind of, we're infected with the, the American disease. Maybe in more ways than we can even realize. So, can you imagine what healthy self-esteem would look like? (laughs) If all you did, (laughs) if all you did was seek the uh, doxa of God, glory of God. That's it. That was the single goal of life, that when you went to work, your marriage, your friends, the whole bit, it was all about the glory of God and not about maintaining, gaining, 
letting hold up self-glory so that you really have the esteem that Christ had, yet Christ esteemed. And not doing it with, with a works heart. Right, right. But works just, heart, chip on the shoulder, bitter spirit, yeah. yeah. Or just trying to gain his yeah. approval, his yeah. praise. Because yeah. we're never going to. Yeah. And not in that respect. Yeah. It's yeah. just by his yeah. love for us and his, his blood that covers us. Yeah. It's just receiving that. Yeah. I'm still camped out on the, if you're fully rooted in him, and I don't want to sound like Mike Brady, but it's kind of, it's pretty simple. You're fully uprooted in everything else. Mm-hmm. Everything else. Everything. What does that look like? You know, mm-hmm. wow, I just can't picture in my mind. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, exactly. Makes sense? Absolutely. Uh, there was a church down in Titus, there is a church down in Titusville, Florida, years ago. The senior pastor was named Peter Lord. No kidding, that's his name. How's that for a cool name? Pastor Peter Lord. You know. Chris Perry, this doesn't sound the same. You know, Peter Lord. Reverend Peter Lord. Yeah, Peter, great guy, phenomenal uh, rhetorician. But Peter would say something like this, closer, closer, I cannot be from the person of his son, I'm as close as he. Think about it. Regarding getting close to God, closer, closer, I cannot be from the person of his son. I'm as close as he. That's basically the gospel of the book of John. Yeah. When you get Randy to 13 to 17, that's the theology of John's gospel. If you're born again, closer, closer, you cannot be from the person of his son. You're as close as he. What a beautiful place to have self-esteem, right? So. He's the guy that took Paul in after he was on the road to Damascus. Absolutely. He's the guy that comes to mind. All of his peers would have mm-hmm. talked behind his back about him and himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Taking somebody in that persecuted people he knew. And yeah. Yeah, you're quoting Philippians 3. Where Paul goes through his, res- his resume. I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. Of the tribe of Benjamin. I've done all this stuff. And I consider it as all suitable for the dung heap. <laughs> it's all, it all goes into the liability column, not the asset column. Uh, for what it means to be in pursuit of Jesus Christ. Complete break. Like Bruce said... Paul was completely uprooted from his entire past because he was so deeply rooted in Jesus Christ only. So, yeah. Yeah. So someone else. Why does this matter? How does this matter? The approval of God versus the approval of men. Man, put her on a pedestal. I would. Yeah. Yeah. If we were ground, like, if I just, if I knew who I was in him, man, it would give me such clear eyes to see her, everybody else here. Absolutely. And non-believers. Yeah, there'd be no pastor worship. Yeah. There'd be no spouse worship. There'd be no children worship. You know, I know parents who live vicariously through their kids. And their parents' self-esteem is anchored in their kids. <clears throat> And if their kids make bad decisions, then the parents 
really fall apart because th they have given children power to rule over their self-worth. And they're made horrifically vulnerable by whether their children obey or not. So. We've created a lot of um, man-made fences out of fear just mm -hmm. within our society right mm -hmm. here and to see for the, they would they would go away. They would cease to exist because first of all we would not be afraid. That's what living that way is, is you don't fear. And to so many of them were created just out of fear. So many of the things between races and classes of people. Like the railroad tracks were this dividing line and they still are in a whole lot of towns. It's mm -hmm. are you on the wrong side of the tracks or the right side of the tracks? And to see all of that go away. Mm -hmm. um, no more man-made walls and obstacles for the gospel that we create mm -hmm. out of fear. Good stuff, James. Now, <clears throat> Randy, can you imagine taking John 12, 42, 43 and dropping it in a persecuted culture? Yeah, I don't want to, <laughs> but wow, the price tag gets really high. Mm -hmm. here's, here's how I process what we're studying, um, and I may process different than everybody else in the circle, mm -hmm. just so you know. So, <laughs> so Buckle up, here it comes. So this is what I've been thinking. So timing is everything. Jesus had the opportunity to reveal who he was early in his ministry, but he chose not to. Why? Because his time had not yet come. Right? Tell me if I'm wrong. I'm just tracking. Well, no, no, no. You're, you're actually under something because uh, there's something called the Messianic Secret. Mm -hmm. Dr. Vreedy came up with that title trying to address the issue. Why did Christ kind of hold out the information till the end? And there's a whole dissertation on that stuff. And we really don't know what happened between age 12 and age 30. Mm -hmm. There's not much mm -hmm. recorded about that period of time. But we know he taught in the temple. We know he was a respected rabbi. We know that other rabbis listened to his teaching. Right? So now we, now we come up to this passage and we're talking about Pharisees. People who were learned people who probably learned from Jesus himself earlier on in the temple and they truly have faith they really do have faith they it were, says they do it says they do so going back to a comment you made earlier I'm not sure I can faith is always the thing that saves us it's not by works it's not by actions it's not by anything else other than our faith that saves us it's always been that way Old Testament and New Testament mm -hmm. So, what if these Pharisees, I think back and I think ahead to Paul's message, I become all things to all people so that by some means I might win some. What if the, it hasn't, we know that, we don't know anything about these Pharisees after Jesus died. So what if these Pharisees would have said, yes, we believe in Jesus. And they tried to convert all their peers. 
their time had not yet come. So all that put together, what I, I think today, if I was to go into a Muslim world, a Muslim culture, I would not just walk in and start preaching Christ. Would it be the fear of man, or would it just be a prudent decision not to do that at this time until I get to know a few of these guys and be able to become like them in certain respects, contextualize the gospel, and preach Christ to them after I understand their lifestyle? Good stuff. What about the drop it inside the church? This is a synagogue. There's no real... Well, again, let's contextualize it. Okay. This is a Jewish context. Okay. Most likely everybody's Jewish. You've got key members of the Sanhedrin there. Some of them are secret believers. The Pharisees who are the... By the way, they are the moral police. Did you know that? You've got kind of two groups. You've got the Sadducees. They ran the temple. They had the keys to the building. They ran the budget. They, they ran the show. That's their, their responsibility. It was Janitors the Pharisees. What's that? Janitors and secretaries. They did it all. And it was the, the Pharisees that were the enforcers of the moral code. So they were taking things out to the street. They were the legalists. And they believed that if Israel would repent and keep the law, what would God do to Israel? He'd come back on the seventh. Sabbath. So the Davidic kingdom would be restored. What would happen to Rome? They would fall. I mean, they'd be, they'd be expelled out like a demon, right? That was the whole point. So the Pharisees were passionate about this. That the Messiah must keep the rules. The rules are holy. They're God's rules. And a Messiah that comes in and breaks the rules is not going to help our situation because we want to get Rome out. We want to restore the Davidic kingdom. And so you've got this tension in the synagogue. Who's the Messiah? Who's going to fix this mess? And then you get Jesus. By the way, there were lots of messianic pretenders and there were fights and rebellions and Rome would send in guys with swords and they would slaughter Jewish men. It's horrible. There's been some bloodbaths over this Messiah thing. Everybody's on edge. Everybody's on edge. And then Jesus comes along and says, Hey, I'm the Messiah. I'm the guy. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You better believe. Because if you don't, and things get real tense. So in that context, which I don't think we can replicate here at Christ Church. I don't think we can replicate that. Um... These, these Jewish, secret Jewish believers, rulers, are afraid that the Pharisees, the moral policemen, are going to grab them by the collar and physically throw them out of the synagogue and then potentially do more damage than that. Jail, public beatings, the whole bit. Stonings. Stonings, yeah. I mean, it's a serious, serious step. That was usually the go-to limit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Beatings. Now, Randy, in terms of if I was dropped into Syria and the Lord called me to do missions, I would do exactly what you... I would go Pauline. <laughs> Miss me and Paul, best friends. <laughs> I'm going to lay low and, and find... the Counselors call it the man of peace when you go into a foreign country. Find the man of peace and start there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
You, you blend in. You do not stir it up. Timing is everything. Exactly. And, and Randy, you're on to something. Nicodemus, you know, we can be pretty hard on that guy, can't we? That little coward. Came to Jesus at night. He's a big chicken. You know, Jesus said, people, you know. But hey, look, Jesus didn't, sh did you know he never shamed him for coming at night? What did he shame him for? Misunderstanding the obvious. It had nothing to do with his battle with fear, his worry about his standing. He never attacked what we attack. He never attacked. He's a coward. Comes by night, he's worried about what people think. Jesus never went down that path. He just addressed the issue of what's between his ears, not core convictions. So, so uh, but Randy's on to something. He really is. Uh, when it comes to missions, you better follow Paul's example. But in this instance, Jesus is saying, hey, if you're going to be ashamed of me and my words, it's serious business. But he's willing to work with those who have fear. Because by the time you get to John 19, we see this transition of Nicodemus. I do anyway. So, solid stuff. So when you have real Christ esteem, you're, you're obviated or relieved and healed from spouse worship, church staff worship, pastor worship, denominational worship, go down the line, children worship, money worship. You get your glory only from the Father. <clears throat> Which is good stuff. I'm not, hearing you, I'm not hearing you say that we can't have makeup, or nice hair, correct, or nice houses, correct. or even money in the bank. I'm not correct. hearing you say that. Nope. 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 But it's the worship of those things. Yeah. Yeah. Or you find your worth value or your yes. worth. Yes. When you when you measure your worth as a human being on material things. Mm -hmm. Someone read Randy read um, Luke twelve fifteen. Luke twelve fifteen. This is a verse every one of us should memorize. He's going out on limb here because I have the NIV. Uh oh, here we go. <laughs> then he said to them, "Watch out!" That's underlined with an exclamation mark. Watch out! Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. That's what I. Mean. You are not what you own. You are not. So I think, too, like, you know, we tend to value ourselves in this culture as to where I live and what I drive and all of that. But when we do that, what I see is that also if you're around somebody and you know they have that issue, they also value other people the same way they value themselves. So we're not reflecting Christ. We're Absolutely. At all, because we tend to turn that value of ourselves and other people. Yes. Good, James. Good. Hmm. As I try and relate to from first century to present day, and the United States being caught up in the political correctness mm -hmm. that tends to overwhelm us on a daily basis. The out-and-out -out fear of a 
whether intentionally or not, is much like we were just talking about. The Pharisees may take offense to that particular statement. Yeah. And yes. uh, we can get stoned, uh, if not physically, certainly verbally. Uh, and so, again, we have to put our faith in Jesus and accept him mm -hmm. and not be afraid. And God has provided that very thing that gives us safety with God Almighty, the land that takes away the sin of the world, the gospel, so that we have That's clear That's why acceptance. I don't need a safe room. Silly putty. Yeah, exactly. I love it. So, Christ esteem cleans up Janice a lot of messes, doesn't it? Lots of messes. Now, it's not a license to be rude. We have the, the esteem of Christ. It's not a license to be uh, detached and dismissive and this, I don't care about anything, about what anybody thinks. No. We're equally commanded to be sensitive to each other and to consider the needs of our friends and families more important than our own. Sure, you get it both ways. But isn't it interesting that Jesus, who was more radically concerned with the glory of God than anybody, is also the one who more radically gave himself away to people? Isn't that interesting? So if you really have the esteem of Christ, you now have a new capacity, Janice, to love people in the healthiest way possible. And that's really, really wonderful. And I think relationships can take on a deep and healthy turn. Because we're not codependent, we're not parasitic, and we, uh, we're not so easily shaken if something doesn't look just right, or something like that. So. What a dangerous thing to seek the approval of men and not the approval of God. So. <coughs> Catherine, can you get the elements? Yes? And it's a process, Branson. It's a journey. Can you imagine? Wouldn't it be? Wouldn't our adult lives be better if we'd figured this thing out at about the age of twelve? Wouldn't it be great? <laughs> wow! Talk about protecting ourselves from just a mess to really settle this around the age of twelve, right before puberty hits. Wow! Wouldn't that be great to really consume ourselves with the glory of God? How beautiful is that? Thank you, Branson. Your tender heart is beautiful. Paul writes, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. 
and we have given thanks. You broke it and you said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So. Abba Father, how can we even come close to finding the words to say thank you? That at the age of 12, you chose to be about your father's business. And you never look back. And you literally model for us perfectly what it means to seek out the glory of God and to not seek out the glory of people. And in seeking you out, we have clear hearts, clear minds, clear vision to see what your will is and what your kingdom is all about. We become the best spouses, the best parents, the best friends happy and whole in spirit, soul, and body. Light of the world, salt of the earth. Thank you for what you did in Nicodemus' life and that you didn't blame him for being human. You corrected him for being irresponsible with information. Thank you that you work with fearful people just like me. We remember your death, and we remember your resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen.